Ready? Hello, and welcome to the What Do You Believe podcast, where we bring a relevant Pentecostal voice focusing on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. My name is Jared Walker. It's a pleasure to be with you this afternoon here with Joe White Rostek to my left. We are pastoral elders at Metro Praise International Church in Chicago. We are also affiliated with School of Urban Missions, Bible College, and Theological Seminary. So we are bringing a Pentecostal voice, an Arminian voice. We also speak for the fivefold ministry and uh, women in ministry and other things like that. We're bringing a perspective that we feel has been uh, underrepresented in the podcast world. With that being said, before we get into today's topics, I just want to share some goodies we got going on here at What Do You Believe? I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you're listening via Facebook Live, iTunes, or through the MPI Church app, whatever way you're listening, you could also tune in to our 301 class where Pastor Joe is teaching presuppositional apologetics. You can actually have for free, F-R-E-E free, a college-level course in presuppositional apologetics where they go through the book by John W. Frame on a defense of the Christian faith and get into some very practical arguments uh, for the Christian faith against skepticism. Uh, One of the nuggies he was sharing last night, and I was listening to it on my drive to work this morning, was about the fool you answer and the fool you don't answer. And uh, Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, talks about two kinds of fools. Uh, Proverbs 26, 4, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. See, there is a fool you answer and a fool you don't answer. The fact is that everyone without Jesus is a fool. Uh, The fool says in his heart, there is no God, according to Psalm uh, 14, verse 1. It is foolish to deny the existence of God because his existence is so obvious from creation, obvious to our conscience, and obvious in the revelation of Jesus. But there are fools that, while being foolish, can, can be taught. They can be teachable. And so there's a fool that you will answer and, and if you don't answer, they will be wise in their own eyes. But if you do answer them, if you do respond to them and address the folly of their worldview, they, they can actually receive from you and come to a knowledge of the truth. Anyway, we have a lot of exciting stuff to get into today. Pastor Joe wants to talk about a project we have going on at the church. Come on. Thank you, Jeroboam. So it's good yeah. to be here. Basically, today's show is going to be power-packed, and we're going to be confronting Islam, Muhammad. But thank you for uh, telling everybody about the 301 class. Yeah. Before we get into that, what I want to share with you, what's uh, new at MPI, is we are doing a project right now to raise shekels for our ministry truck so that we can take this bad boy to various neighborhoods and win the lost at any cost for Jesus. And so I'm putting it up here right now. This is really not a fundraising pitch. If you want to learn how to uh, know how to give, you can just give to our building fund at our giving page, or you can contact us and we can give you the link. But really what I want you guys to do is just pray for us because we want to have a truck where the side of the stage, uh, the side of the wall comes out, the side of the truck comes out, becomes a stage, so that we can do ministry in various neighborhoods. Right now, 
We have 10 outreaches that go out every week uh, in Metro Praise, and this truck is going to be an amazing addition to that ministry, those ministries that we're doing, specifically uh, to the west side going out there like Ohio Park, going to the high schools, also going Saturday evangelism to different parks, the gangs on Thursdays. And this is what we really want to do. And if you can see here, there's a long-haired version of me right there just dripping in sweat because I was preaching in knowledge, baby. And you know the dirty, dirty South be hot. And there I was preaching, man, my guts out on that truck, a truck just like the kind that we're going to get. And I know that it's uh, useful to have this. And our vision is to plant 50 churches in Chicago, 500 around the world. And I really felt the Lord wanted us to do this so that we could continue to prepare the ground for the places we're going to plant churches. I want us to do outreaches like the circuit riders of the Methodist church used to go and preach multiple times in one day. So take, for example, how the Bible Belt was formed was a lot of these early Methodists would uh, take on different regions during that time of colonial and um, uh, what we would say kind of like the beginning stages of America, even like here in Chicago, they would take on different regions and start churches there. And like on a Sunday, they would ride their horses doing circuit. And this is why they were called circuit riding preachers is they would go in their circuit on a Sunday to two and three different places and keep establishing those places until they got a church there. And then they would raise up their leaders. And that's what I think we need to do. We need to start finding out like what communities, uh, are we really seeing the fruit in and then possibly starting to plant our churches from there? And one of my ideas is to go old school as well and to get about 50 chairs and put them in there so we can start actually having legit like church, like people sitting down, praise and worship services. I've done that in, in, in communities with the truck like this. And so that's what I'm really believing that we can do. And so I just want you all to be in prayer with us because the Bible says in Psalm chapter two, ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Now, that's the Father speaking to the Son, the Messiah, saying, uh, ask these nations from me, and I'll give them to you as an inheritance. And we know that Jesus has received them after he raised from the dead. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That's just not spiritual authority. That's all authority. That's governmental authority. That's... Um, that's authority over uh, the spiritual world and the natural world. And so what we want to do is have the, the, um, the heart of Jesus that he had with the Father to ask for those things. Now we want to have his heart in us to go implement his rulership, to go implement his authority and his kingdom rule. And it's not through force, it's not through uh, fighting, but it's through the gospel, preaching the gospel. And take just for example, if we go out, to the high schools on Friday and pick maybe three high schools to hit just one after another on one Friday before youth group. Let's say like right around three o'clock, they go to Shores. Then they drive right over here to uh, Steinmetz. That's the one off Berry Street, right? Berry in Austin. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then they go to Steinmetz. And then let's say then they go to a junior high in the area. So within literally like an hour and a half, while there's all this action coming in out of school, say from three to three 30, they can pop up. And for 20 minutes apiece, just go there, preach, hand out some waters, draw a crowd, boom, shakalaka. There you go with high schools. Then when we do uh, gang ministry, they could start trying to find different places Thursday nights where we could set up this truck and start preaching literally to the gangs, having what we would call like an outdoor meeting, like a tent crusade, a campagna at night. 
And somebody may say, well, what about the noise? What about uh, people complaining? If we get noise complaints, we're in the wrong place. Let's put it that way. The first time I wanted to uh, give away groceries in my hometown, I went to what I thought was the inner city, but was really just the city because I lived in the suburbs. So I was showing up like at normal, hardworking people's homes. And they're like, we don't need the groceries. We're actually pretty good. So then I actually said to them, where should I go and give these groceries to? And they're like, Eden Green, the projects. And then it came to me. It's like, oh, I used to be around there when I would hang out with Spanky back in the day. And that was his name, Spanky. Old Spanky. And I said, man, I remember that place. That's where Spanky was by, off of Pontiac and all that. So then we went over there, and we never had a problem with groceries anymore. It wasn't uh, not having the people. To, it, it was no longer a problem of finding people to give them away to. It was a problem not having enough. And so that's my same thing. If we go to a certain community, they say, oh, man, the gospel preaching here, that truck, that's just too loud. It's too noisy. What are you guys doing here? We're in the wrong one, uh, wrong neighborhood. I want to be in the neighborhood where they come running to us, hugging us, going, dear God, don't ever leave. Yes. Because when the gospel truck is here, God is showing up. And what I want to do is on the side where we don't fold down the stage, I want to put John 3.16 in the biggest letters we can possibly do it. So no matter where we're parked, when they are looking at the opposite side driving by, they'll see a humongous John 3.16. On the back of the truck, I want to put our big Chicago for Jesus cross. Then on the front, I want to have it say something cool. And then the side that actually folds down, something about the kingdom of God is coming. You know, and then when it comes down, boom, the kingdom is here. You know, something fun like that. And here's the good news. We already got uh, the sound system, the generator, all of these things already ready to go because we bought a new sound system a while back and just kept it uh, in storage. So we got the, this huge generator that we do for our outreaches. We got this wonderful sound system, different levels of sound system. Actually, I can have a small one or a medium or large. I have three basic sound systems we can put in there depending on what we want to do. We'll probably keep the small to medium in there and then bring out the big boy when we're actually starting to get some traction in certain neighborhoods. But uh, Jared, that's what I think we need to do is get out to the streets, be creative, use technology. And uh, I think that's going to be really cool. What do you think about uh, rocking Chicago with a uh, big old ministry truck? I think we need an ice cream truck jingle Ooh. that will get attention like, like nothing else. Yeah, it'll do it. Uh, we could probably have amazing grace or something, right? All right. So here's, here's the question to you, listening audience. What do you believe is the new wineskin of urban outreach in America? Um, we, have, we have gone through many phases in our country uh, of, of different kinds of effective outreach. We used to have a day when Billy Graham could fill up Soldier Field, and now you can maybe have a Christian preacher fill up a, a Soldier Field, but it's mostly with church folks anyway. So we need to figure out new wineskins, that is, new methods that are suitable for urban outreach in America. We believe this is uh, a burden uh, Joe has uh, that it was laid on Joe's heart by the Lord for urban outreach, for reaching the lost, for preaching the good news. What do you believe is the right way? Um, on a related note, let's get into in the news, and I, this is... This is newsworthy, and it's not. We shouldn't be too surprised to hear that uh, Chicago has a lot of violence, a lot of shootings, a lot of murders. Uh, I'm looking at an article from the Chicago Tribune. This was June 30th, and it's about the midway point of the year. It says 323 people have died in a, 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 from violence in Chicago, and we are on track for seven 
hundred homicides this year, which would be which would be a high for us. Looking at a more recent article from NBC Five Chicago. This was over the last weekend that three people have been killed and 29 wounded just over the last weekend. I have just from today, the Washington Post uh, picked up on a barbecue uh, shootout in Chicago. One killed, 16 wounded. Um, Got another one here. This was from late July. There were 36 people shot in the last weekend of July and a four-year-old boy was among them. So it left four dead and nearly three dozen others wounded. I could go on and on and on. And, and I would not run out of tragic examples. I had my friend actually back in 2006, he did two tours in the middle East as a Marine and he came back to Chicago and was killed right at Addison and Cicero on a drive-by because he's Puerto Rican. He's driving a Crown Vic. And you think, oh, he's, he must be a gangbanger. He must be the type of person I'd want to shoot at. So we had a friend who, who defended our country and was actually in line to become a police officer, killed senselessly in, in drive-by violence. If you live in an urban area, you probably know somebody. I could just think as far back being, um, being in third grade, going to the school that's right by this church, just blocks away, Schubert School. And I remember going to detention with one of the kids in sixth grade, and he was a nice kid, and, you know, we, we kind of talked. And then I heard like a week or two later he was killed right there at Fullerton and Long, just blocks from this church. And so that's, that's just something that I've become well familiar with. Even in this area that our church is currently in, there is violence. There are people dying um, killing and dying really over nothing. So now we as Christians, we know Jesus is the answer. We don't see a shooting or a mass shooting or something like that and get on the leftist wagon of we need more gun control. We need more gun control. We recognize that uh, because, because Chicago, think about this, Chicago has actually been the, the best example of gun control doing absolutely nothing. We have tons of gun control. We're a blue city in a blue state with lots of gun control, many restrictions on where you can take your guns, what kind of guns you can have. And there are still people shooting each other dead and we have sky high gun violence. So it's not, it's not that we know that Jesus is the answer, but I feel like that's become a bit cliched. We say Jesus is the answer. And a lot of Christians, um, they want to respond to things like inner city violence, poverty, you name it. And they go into one of two errant directions. The first is pietism. Now, pietism um, has a, a bit of a history, that term, but it actually can be used in a derogatory way to speak of those ministers who have faith without action and prayer without action. So let's, let's go back, for example, to the slave era. There are ministers that say slavery is wrong and speak out against slavery, yet there's complete inaction. They just, they just talk about it in the pulpit. They talk about it in other venues, but there's actually no action to fight slavery. It's, it's inaction, and that can apply to a number of social woes. That can apply to abortion. That can apply to gun violence, as we're talking about now. And what we see is many churches that will gather and have prayer meetings and, and cry out to the Lord, to end the violence, 
but they rarely send out any evangelists into those neighborhoods. You rarely see a real gospel-centered outreach into the areas that need it the most. So it's pietism, it's prayer without action, it's faith without action. And don't and don't hear me wrong, prayer is the beginning. Prayer is essential. Prayer is vital. Uh, vital. Second Corinthians uh, Chronicles, rather Second Chronicles seven fourteen. God says, "If my if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves." Um, and repent and turn from their evil ways and pray to me, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. We can take that to the bank, but that's that's just part of it. Jesus said the kingdom of God is with you. But here's another way that Christians can get it wrong. They go the social justice route. And social justice is really a code word for cultural Marxism. And so Christians will end up aligning with Black Lives Matter and other such movements, leftist movements. And next thing you know, they'll be like here saying, oh, Bernie Sanders is the truth. No, Bernie Sanders hates the truth. Okay, and so they're going to go the social justice route and say, we need to address these systemic things. There's this. and, And if you take Marxism to account, Marxism always has the oppressor and the oppressed. And so there are movements and they're always trying to just put people in these different categories. And it's never that simple. On that note, while we don't want to go the full on Bernie Sanders route and and do all that stuff, I think we should address systemic things. Chicago is a corrupt city. Illinois is a corrupt state. I'm looking at our Chicago public schools going bankrupt and laying off teachers. And Rahm Emanuel is going to have to answer for that. He's, he's not doing what's right. Our state at the state level, they're not doing what's right. It seems that they, they have their interest in other things and they're not taking care of, the, of, of what's hurting. So there are some systemic things. The prison system is, is messed up and could use reform and we could address that. But you don't want to go the whole social justice route. Here's what I suggest. Prophetic activism and gospel outreach. Prophetic activism and gospel outreach. Prophetic activism is doing what the Old Testament prophets did. See, the Old Testament prophets, when they weren't having visions and getting laid out and, you know, seeing the third heaven and all that stuff, because that's often what we think of when we think of prophets and they tell uh, prophecies about the distant future. When they were not foretelling the future, they were foretelling to current events. They were speaking for God to the people, to the culture at that present time. And we may not claim to have a, a prophets with the same level of authority as Isaiah or Jeremiah, but we have the word of God. We can know well enough, what does God have to say to Rahm Emanuel? What does God have to say to the police department? What does God have to say to the matter of of gang violence what does god have to say to abortion prophetic activism and that goes a just a completely different direction than social justice and finally gospel outreach that's why i believe in the gospel truck that we're going to be taking instead of the ice cream truck we're going to be taking the gospel truck instead of the dope man on the corner you know slanging his good good we're going to be on the corner with our good, good, the that man. the good news, that gospel man. That's right, baby. The gospel man. So anybody can, the gospel man can, come on. anybody can, the gospel man. That's can. it. That's it. That gospel man come into a hood near you, baby. Yes. So, 
but we got to go there. Yes. So you're doing the pietist thing and you're praying, but you're not on those corners. You're not in those neighborhoods. Yeah. Pastors, we got to admit we are failing yes. to do our job if we're not actually evangelizing. If we don't have foot soldiers out there doing the doing the work that needs to be done. And the fact is gangs are making disciples. Gangs are evangelizing. The devil is evangelizing with his false gospel speaking to young men and young women with no hope. We have the truth. We have we we have the real hope that these folks need and we're not going out there. We're not half as zealous as these gang leaders are if we're honest. And that's what I believe. Yeah, I'd love to tell you what I believe, because, Jared, you did awesome. I go back and I listen to these messages, and I get blown away by these podcasts, by what Jared be dropping, guys. He be dropping some good nuggies. I hope that you guys are getting that. And that's why, of course, we gave him his own section. Just Jared's gems, always just a sweet little surprise towards the end of the show. So, guys, check us out on iTunes and uh, our app at Metro Praise International. Go to your app store, iTunes, and you can keep up with us there. Appreciate everybody's support. Also, whatdoyoubelievetv.com is where you can get all of our links to our latest shows as well as the 301 class on presuppositional apologetics. And, of course, on the Facebook page where we come live when we do this podcast. Uh, Just talking about what we just said there about that truck, that is the truth. My uh, it, you know, in my experience, it's the church's fault to why we're in this situation here, particularly in America. I can't speak to why Cambodia has problems, why Vietnam has problems, or why some part of the Middle East has problems. I can tell you number one reason right now why our inner cities have problems, it's that's because the church hasn't done their job. Uh, after civil rights, the black community was the strongest Christian-going community, lower rate of divorce even than the white church, higher retention rate in the church, and they were doing awesome. But when drugs came in and that started to change the culture, the church corrupted and got out of the gospel preaching business, man. They used to do, man, my pastor used to do, my African-American pastor in in, in uh, New Orleans was from Chicago. He did 10 crusades. He did them all up and down. That's how the gospel was preached. These people did it. And as well as the Latinos, you'll see them come from like these rural countries and then they'll learn it here. I'm not talking about like the crazy gangs that come from Central and South America here. And then now they're doing it. I'm talking like normal families from Latin America moving here. Then they get influenced by the hood. And then, you know, these Latino guys start calling each other the N word and take on this whole entire corrupted image that's been there because of sin. And so now it's not, of course, it's not just a minority issue. And we got two white boys here, but no man, ask any good Christian in these communities. What is the problem? It's the church. Now what the church, like you said, wants to do is just get together and sing Kumbaya five more times, have 10 more conferences and then a prayer meeting like 10 more times. Like, come on, dude, get out and do something for Jesus. And I was out with a couple African-Americans and Latinos uh, just Saturday when we were at the Adopt-A-Block, and they kept saying it over and over again. I'm so glad I'm a part of this church. Well, we go out and preach the gospel where we go and do it. Look at all the churches around here. This is what my neighborhood was like. Churches were everywhere, but they never went out and did anything. So let that not be an indictment against your church or our church. Let us pray for God's gospel to go forward. Now let's go into our next section. We're going to go into debate prep. Sabil Ahmed of Gain Peace contacted me after a four-year hiatus. He, I guess, is ready to get it on, on. and it's going to be next week. Yes. Same time, same place, same bat channel, so make sure you guys tune in. You'll be watching me go toe-to-toe with Sabil Ahmed of Gain Peace. You can look him up on Facebook or online. It's one of the largest organizations in Chicago 
to do dawah, which is a form of uh, Islamic evangelization. And so to prep you guys for what I'll be bringing on down, I got a great video from, for you by the one, the only, David Wood. I want you to watch this, and then I'm going to come back and talk about it. All right, here you go. It's kind of difficult to be certain about most of the details of Muhammad's life because the historical sources are so late. Our earliest detailed biographical source on Muhammad's life is Ibn Ishaq's Sirat Rasulullah, which was written more than a century after Muhammad died. And we don't even have what Ibn Ishaq actually wrote. We only have an edited version by Ibn Hisham. And Muslims don't even pay much attention to Ibn Ishaq. The sources they used to learn about Muhammad, their main hadith collections, were written two to three centuries after he died. So we're dealing with some very late material. But if we take the Muslim sources at face value, the story of Muhammad's life goes something like this. He was born around 570 AD in a city called Mecca in what is now Saudi Arabia. His father, Abdullah, died before he was born, and his mother, Amina, died when he was six years old. After the death of his grandfather, Muhammad was raised by his uncle, Abu Talib, leader of the Banu Hashim clan. While he was still young, Muhammad began working in the Meccan caravan trade, which put him in contact with diverse religious traditions. When he was 25, he married a wealthy widow, Khadija, who was 15 years older than he was. With more leisure time, Muhammad developed the habit of retreating to a cave on Mount Hira for prayer and reflection, as was common for the polytheists of the Meccan Quraysh tribe. So it seems that Muhammad was very interested in religious matters long before anyone believed he was a prophet. During one of his yearly retreats, Muhammad became convinced that a jinn or a demonic spirit had possessed him and had ordered him to recite some verses. The verses said, Read in the name of your Lord who created, who created man from a clot of blood. Read, and your Lord is most generous, who taught by the pen, taught man what he did not know. These words are now found in the Quran, chapter 96, verses 1 through 5. So this is when Muhammad started receiving revelations that would eventually become the Quran. But again, he didn't think that they were revelations at this point. He thought that he was possessed by some sort of poetry demon. He was 40 years old at the time, and he was so embarrassed at the thought of being possessed by a jinn or a demon that he tried to hurl himself off a cliff. But whatever it was that gave him the verses stopped him from committing suicide. Muhammad ran home to his wife Khadija and her cousin Waraka, and it was Khadija and Waraka who persuaded him that he wasn't possessed. He was a prophet of Allah. Muhammad soon began preaching Islam to friends and family members and later to the public. But his messages became increasingly inflammatory. He condemned the religious beliefs of the polytheists of Mecca and he mocked their gods. Not surprisingly, the Meccans eventually started persecuting Muhammad and his followers. And after his wife Khadija and his uncle Abu Talib died, Muhammad decided to flee the city of Mecca. His new city, Medina, was a little over 200 miles north of Mecca. After forming alliances with various non-Muslim groups, Muhammad began robbing the Meccan caravans. These attacks eventually led to a series of battles with Mecca, the Battle of Badr, the Battle of Uhud, and the Battle of the Trench. As war booty poured in, so did new converts. The growing Muslim army allowed Muhammad not only to subdue Mecca, but to subdue the rest of Arabia as well. Unfortunately for Muhammad, after a Guys, I have to apologize. I actually, we did this one last time. I totally forgot that we have done this. I am so sorry. I want to get the one, is Muhammad a prophet? 
I'm a little bit embarrassed, so please be patient with me. Um, so I actually went and we're playing the same one uh, as last time. Let me get uh, Axe Apologetics. Okay, let me get it here. It's going to take me just a minute to pull it up. I'm sitting here listening to this thing, and I'm like, man, I have heard this before. So, Jared, go ahead and just talk about that again as I get this video. Sure. Just to recap a little bit of last week, we're talking about the life of Muhammad and how he became essentially the founder of Islam. Now, if you talk to Muslims, they they may not see it that way. They may not use that language like he was the founder. He he discovered it. Obviously, they would say it was directly from God. But the bottom line is that Muhammad, who lived from about 570 to 632, uh, AD, which is about 600 years after Jesus, um, he was a caravan rider in Arabia. He had some knowledge of the beliefs of the Jewish people, some knowledge of the beliefs of the Christian people, because in that time, in that part of the world, those were both predominant religions, but there was also the uh, pagan religions of Arabia at that time. Lots of people down through history have claimed to be prophets. There are people in the world today who claim to be prophets, but their messages contradict each other, so they can't all be speaking for God. This means that we have to examine their messages to see who's really speaking for God. And there are three main possibilities we have to consider. First, the person might be getting revelations from his own mind. He might be deliberately inventing revelations or he might be insane. But it's clear that some so-called revelations have a purely human origin. Second, the person might be getting revelations from demonic sources. He's actually receiving revelations. These revelations just don't come from God. They come from somewhere else. Third, someone who claims to be a prophet may genuinely be receiving revelations. Did his revelations come from his own mind? Did they come from demons? Did they come from God? Let's think about the evidence. When we ask ourselves what evidence there is that Muhammad was getting his revelations from his own mind, we find that Islam really seems like a religion that came from the mind of a 7th century Arabian caravan trader, because Islam is basically a collection of teachings and practices that were present in Arabia during Muhammad's time. Jewish monotheism had spread into many communities in Arabia, along with biblical and non-biblical stories about Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. Teachings about Jesus and Mary that were popular in certain Christian cults were being taught in Arabia. Things like Jesus speaking at birth, Jesus giving life to clay birds, Mary giving birth under a palm tree, and so on. The Sabians, who are mentioned in the Quran, prayed at all five of the times Muslims pray during their daily prayers. And they recited a creed, La ilaha illallah. Muslims recite this creed today. Many of the polytheists of Arabia performed ablutions. These are ceremonial washings. They took an annual pilgrimage to Mecca. They circled the Kaaba. They kissed the black stone that supposedly fell from heaven. All of these teachings and practices became a part of Islam, which means that Islam is exactly the sort of religion we would expect to arise in 7th century Mecca. So we have good reasons to think that Islam had a human origin, the mind of a man deeply affected by the teachings and practices that surrounded him. But we should also look to see if there might be something darker at work. Here we find plenty of evidence suggesting that forces beyond Muhammad were involved in his teachings. We know from Muslim records that when Muhammad began receiving revelations, his first impression was that he was demon-possessed. 
We also know that after his experience in the cave, he became suicidal and tried to hurl himself off a cliff. According to the earliest Muslim sources, Muhammad was tricked into delivering a revelation from the devil. These are the so-called satanic verses, where Allah gave Muslims permission to pray to three pagan goddesses. Muhammad revealed these verses as part of the Quran, but he later came back and said that Satan had deceived him. We also know from Muslim sources that Muhammad claimed that he was a victim of black magic, a spell that gave him delusional thoughts and false beliefs. So Muhammad's first impression of his revelations was that he was demon-possessed. His revelations made him suicidal, and even Muslim sources claimed that he delivered a revelation from the devil and that he was a victim of black magic. Seems that we don't just have evidence that Muhammad's revelations had a human origin, we also have evidence of spiritual problems. The question now is whether there's any evidence that Muhammad's revelations came from God. Now, the Quran offers two main arguments for Muhammad's status as a prophet. The first is what I call the argument from literary excellence. The claim here, which we find over and over again in the Quran, is that the Quran is so wonderfully written, it must be from God. So Muhammad's main argument is that the poetry he was delivering was so wonderful, it could only come from God. There are two main problems with this argument. One, even if something is wonderfully written, so wonderfully written that it can't be imitated, this tells us absolutely nothing about whether it's from God. If we can't write poems like T.S. Eliot or plays like Shakespeare or books like Charles Dickens, this doesn't mean that Eliot and Shakespeare and Dickens are prophets of God. It would only mean that they had unique literary styles. Two, I'll go ahead and say it, the Quran is awful. I'm someone who reads a lot, and I've never read a book as awful and boring and disorganized as the Quran. I agree with the late philosopher Antony Flew, who said, to read the Quran is a penance rather than a pleasure. He said that reading the Quran is a penance. It's a kind of punishment. So the argument from literary excellence fails completely. The second main argument for Islam is the argument from biblical prophecy. The Quran claims that there are prophecies about Muhammad in the Torah and the Gospel. What's the problem here? Well, according to both the Torah and the Gospel, Muhammad was a false prophet. The criteria for a true prophet laid down in both the Torah and the Gospel rule out Muhammad. So we can't even take this argument seriously. Other arguments for Islam are even weaker, which means we have no good evidence that Muhammad's revelations come from God. But we do have good reasons to think that at least some of his revelations had a purely human origin and that others may even be demonic. We can only conclude that Muhammad was a false prophet and that anyone who wants to follow the truth will have to look somewhere other than Islam. According That's to the all earliest that we can Muslim conclude is Muhammad was a false prophet. That's it, guys. So go back and check out a bunch of David Wood's goodies. I apologize for burning some of our time getting off onto uh, stuff we've already done before. But let me show you a comparison chart between Jesus and Muhammad. Okay, let me just show you a real simple one to help you guys out. And we also have this on our website, whatdoyoubelieveTV.com. You can see today's lesson or today's blog post. I have it up there. Muhammad said, Allah does not love those who reject Islam. Jesus said, God loves everyone, John 3.16. Muhammad said, I have been commanded to fight against people till they testify there is no God but Allah, and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Okay, Jesus said, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Muhammad stoned women for adultery. Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone, John 8.7. Muhammad permitted stealing from unbelievers. Jesus says, thou shall not steal. Muhammad permitted lying when they're especially in a time of war. 
Jesus said, thou shalt not bear false witness. Muhammad owned and traded slaves, and those people are still doing that today all throughout Islamic lands, especially in northern Africa and Sudan and places like it. Jesus neither owned, owned nor traded slaves. Uh, Muhammad beheaded 800 Jewish men and boys. Of course, Jesus never did that. Muhammad murdered those who insulted him. Jesus preached forgiveness. Muhammad also had uh, multiple wives and a nine-year-old child bride. Jesus was single. Also, Muhammad uh, said that it was his duty to subject the world to Islam or make them pay the jizya and be second-class citizens. Jesus said that the gospel will go forth and it will set people free and liberate them. It wasn't a political system. Uh, when we look to the Bible, we see who Muhammad is according to the Bible. According to Paul, 600 years before Muhammad, who actually met Jesus via a divine encounter, says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them now be under God's curse. So in the time of Paul, there was false gospels, false messages going around. And he said, do not believe it, even if you get a visitation from an angel or even if I come back and change the message. Well, here you have Muhammad 600 years later saying that he sees an angel, which the Bible says can, the devil can appear as an angel of light, and now changing the entire gospel message. No longer does Jesus die on the cross. They deny that. No longer is Jesus the Son of God. Allah has no sons. He's a father to no one. Concerning the cross, it says in the Quran, they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him, but it appeared to be so. So he was substituted with someone like a Judas so he could escape. So in that sense, Allah is a liar himself and is responsible for starting the whole religion of Christianity. But we know, of course, this is just foolishness. He did die on the cross, but um, Muhammad denied Jesus dying on the cross. The number one attested thing about Jesus's life. A lot of scholars, even non-Christians, will de de debate over uh, you know, whether he was virgin born, all these miracles and so forth. But one thing, even Bart Ehrman said, it's undeniable. He died on a cross. And they deny that. They deny that uh, that Jesus was the son of God. That was the whole entire purpose. From the baptism onward, he's, he's called the son of God. Even in Mark, which a lot of times people try to say is a less uh, higher view of Christ. It, and they say John has like a higher view because it starts off with him as God. But even in Mark 1, it says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so we see that uh, some of the most uh, important facts about Christianity, Muhammad denies. So he changes the gospel according to what an angel gave him. By that definition, he's a false prophet. Yeah. Then last week we talked about you'll know them by their fruits. Figs come from a fig tree, thorns from a thorn bush. We only see the thorns of Islam, all of those things that are going on now with ISIS and the Taliban and uh, Boko Haram in Nigeria are all in the Muslim Brotherhood are all great examples of what Muhammad was like. The more a person is like ISIS is more they're like Muhammad. The more a person is like Jesus the more they'll be like the Apostle Paul, Jared and I, pastors, missionaries, etc. 
So yes, you may know peaceful Muslims, but there is no such thing as a peaceful Islam. And what I love about what David Wood said is here's the, the real foundation of where he got all of these crazy ideas from, demonic and his culture around him. That's really only it. Some of it probably from his head and his, psycho his, his psychotic nature, because he was crazy in many ways. Uh, he had a lot of superstitions, like drinking camel's urine and a lot of weird things he did. He, he actually promoted the idea for people to drink his sweat. A lot of gross things you can see that he did. He was very a superstitious man. He hated dogs. He hated dogs. He wanted dogs to be killed everywhere. So he had a, very, a lot of superstitions. But uh, mostly I believe it was demonic and what he picked up from the culture around him, like the Kaaba, that, that central place of worship in Mecca, uh, Mecca the Black Stone, etc., uh, the way that they pray, the confession of their faith from the false religions, and then to sprinkle in there a little bit of Judaism, a little bit of, uh, of Christianity, but it's it's disjointed. It's disjointed, rather, from the Torah. When you read about how he thinks about Jews, it's not based anything on the Old Testament. And when you see how he thinks about Christians, it's nothing to do with uh, real Christianity. He doesn't even quote one verse from the Bible in the entire Quran. And sometimes we will compare this to the um, to the Book of Mormon, and that is true. Uh, the Book of Mormon is actually an American invention of a false prophet with a false book having false visions and having polygamy and all these crazy things going on and it looking more like the Masonic Lodge than a church. And that's why when Jared and I went to Nauvoo, a founding place here in Illinois of the Mormons, you could see all these things from uh, the, from the upside-down pentagrams to the, the symbols, all coming from the Masonic Lodge. Yes, but even the Mormons put more Bible in the Book of Mormon than what he had in the Book of the Quran. He was literally an ill he was an illiterate man from that part of the world who didn't even know probably the scriptures firsthand, probably haven't even read them. He only knew the stories and the fables. And that's what he put in his book, not even from the Bible, where the Old Testament, and the New Testament formed together. I mean, you have a book like Hebrews where you can tell that author is so intimately involved with the Old Testament, just referring to Levitical law, priesthood, etc., and here you have the, the Quran, just almost like nonsense. And it really is. And it's not even written. It's almost written like the book of Proverbs, but then it's totally out of order. So there's you can be in one surah, one chapter of the Quran, and there be a representation of 20 years of work in there, like surah 2, which is a very long one. Uh, and it's just it's disjointed. It is pagan. It is demonic. And the only power that it really has is what the devil gives, gives it, because when you hear people singing it, singing the Quran as they sing and recite it. You got to know Christians used to do this before them as well. Uh, when they And the Jews did as well. When they're singing the scripture, it almost has like a lullaby sense to it. Yes. So you get these guys coming in, conquering your nation. Uh, you either join them or die. And then all of a sudden they're telling you, well, you can come with us, get a lot of women and do all of these things, get a lot of money. You'll, we'll promise you paradise. And then they kind of wash your brain, brainwash you with this melodic stuff, you know, that's kind of how Islam spread. What do you think about uh, Islam, Jared? I think it is a false religion. Let me just say that straight up. We love the Muslim people. We love them, but they have a false religion. We could point. Uh, I'll take care of you, baby. Just relax. Oh, oh, that's what I want. Go ahead now. You fix it. It's just the way you want it. Yeah. Just the way you want it. All right, we love the Muslim people. For us to make these uh, comments about Islam, about Muhammad, is not hate speech, folks. This is simply, uh, we're, we're simply, number one, we're relaying objective facts. These facts about the life of Muhammad can be verified, and that from Islamic sources. 
Further, we are doing this in love because we love the Muslim people. Because the truth is what will set them free, and they believe a lie. They believe a false prophet and a false vision. And so this is actually damning to the soul. If Islam never created ISIS, if it never created Al-Qaeda, if it never created the Islamic Brotherhood or the Muslim Brotherhood, I'm sorry, if it never created uh, terrorism the way it actually does in the world, if it never led to that, it would still be a wicked religion for the fact that billions, billions of people who are Muslim are perishing without Jesus because they believe the lies of Muhammad, lies that are part demonic in nature and lies that are of his own ignorance. I'm, I'm just going to read a surah here, surah 6115. And this is obviously an English translation. And it says, And when Allah saith, O Jesus, son of Mary, didst thou say unto mankind, Take me and my mother for two gods beside Allah? He saith, Be glorified. It was not mine to utter to which I had no right. Let me just stop there. This is apparently the words of Jesus in the Quran to demonstrate what Pastor Joe was saying, how disjointed, how disconnected is the Quran from the Old and the New Testament, even though they claim to worship the God of Abraham. This is apparently Jesus saying, did I tell you, speaking to the Christians, to worship me and my mother? This betrays a horrific ignorance of Christian theology. I believe that Muhammad and other people like him probably just watching Christianity from the outside and maybe seeing artwork that featured Mary probably saw that and said she is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Mother. This is an ignorance here. As he said, there's no quotation of the New Testament. There's there's some stories of the Old Testament, but again, key details are gotten wrong here. And so when we point these things out to Muslims and we point out the, the really the wicked character of Muhammad, we do so in love and we do so to show them the truth of Jesus Christ um, over against those things so that the light of him will shine against that dark backdrop. How about we do Jared's Gems? We ready for that? I think that's good, man. Go ahead, baby boy. All right. What? Jared's Gems. Once again, we're going to kind of skirt. We're going to, we're going to, yes, we're going to. I love this guy. Bring him, bring him, bring him. Oh, love you more. Yes. yes. I want to start off with a few questions here. We do need, we're going to take this in slightly different direction. I'm going to ask two questions. Number one, who is the most impactful person in world history? Who is the most impactful person in world history? Now, immediately off in, uh, on the top of my mind, Muhammad comes up not as the most, but one of the most impactful people, because impact can be positive or negative. So no doubt the world is a different place because Muhammad was in it. There's no two ways about it. I'll give you another example of an impactful person. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, he was the president during the Civil War. He signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Had he not existed, had he not been the president at that point in time, America could look very different. I'll give you another example. I mentioned social Marxism. Karl Marx, he's an impactful person. His ideas morphed into communism and controlled billions of people in the Soviet Union, China, Venezuela, Cuba, other nations 
that were dominated by that. And there's still people to this day who subscribe to his teachings. One person changed the world. One more example, Thomas Edison harnessed electricity and invented the light bulb among numerous other inventions. Al Gore invented the internet. Half kid, half kid. That's what he says he invented. Truth is he invented global warming. So if you're having a hot day, thank Al Gore. But with that being said, there are people in world history who have changed the way that we live. Okay. We don't know those people. We may not even think about them very much, if at all, but they have impacted the way that we live. Second question, who is the most impactful person in your life? So now we're going on from, you know, big figures of history from all over the world to the people you know. And I'm willing to bet for anyone listening, the most impactful person in your life has been your father, for better or worse. It's been your father, whether by a positive example or a negative example, your father has impacted you in profound ways. Uh, other people, obviously your mother, friends, friends from church, maybe there's somebody you know that led you to Jesus and that person was impactful in your life. And so you have those people and you have a relationship with those people. You have a history with those people and they too have changed the way that you live your life, but in a different way. Now let's bring this all together. Jesus is the answer to both questions. Jesus is the answer to both questions. Jesus is the answer to the question, who is the most impactful person in world history? The calendar is split. We have BC before Christ, and then we have AD, which is the year of our Lord, the year of Jesus. And so he split the calendar. Christian teaching is what formed Western civilization. If you are not aware, North America and Europe form what we call Western civilization, a society that was built upon certain principles that are, are basically from the Bible. There are some other contributing factors, but Jesus is responsible for that. Outside of Western civilization, you have the Orient, you have the Middle East, and so on, but he has changed world history, has changed the, the face of this earth, and I believe for profound good. So he is the most impactful person in world history, and he is to be the most impactful person in your life. Now, we talked about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln's contributions to this planet definitely changed the way we live. If you are African-American, there's a possibility you may be a slave today. That is a possibility. Uh, the country obviously cannot go through a civil war and not undergo deep changes. But how many of us think about Abraham Lincoln daily? How many of us say to ourselves, what would Abraham Lincoln do? How many of us say to ourselves, um, Abraham Lincoln really got me through that tough time? We can rarely say that because we don't know those people. They're strangers to us. Mostly they're answers to trivia questions. Like when you go on Jeopardy, who signed the Emancipation Proclamation? You answer, who is Abraham Lincoln? Completely irrelevant to you. But Jesus is both the most impactful person in world history and the most impactful person in your life. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone has to deal with Jesus Christ, as the old preacher Vance Havner used to say. Everyone has to deal with Jesus Christ. Everyone will have to deal with him now in humility and repentance to call him Lord, to bend the knee now, to receive grace, to receive blessing, to receive adoption, to sonship, or will bend the knee at the judgment, at the horror. His glory will be a terror to them. Okay? So Jesus 
is both the most impactful person in world history, but also the most uh, impactful person in your life. And we need to bridge the two. This is what I think plagues many unbelievers who live in Western civilization that Jesus basically provided for them. They have the knowledge of God. They have church on every corner. They have major holidays like Christmas and Easter that tell parts of his story. And yet they look at Jesus as a mere trivia question. They look Jesus at Jesus like they look at Abraham Lincoln or anything else. Yeah, he did some cool stuff a long time ago, but I got to do me. I got to live my life. And I got and, and the reason I say this is because it's very personal. I went to a mainline church. Growing up, I saw Jesus in the stained glass window. We wore our robes. It was actually a backslidden church, United Church of Christ. They're backslidden. Uh, this one here on the corner? No, it was in um, Logan Square okay. by, by my old house. And, yeah, yeah I mean, backslidden because United Church of Christ is backslidden. We'll say that for the record. Um, they don't believe the Bible. They ordain homosexuals. But that's a whole other thing. For me as a kid, though, Jesus was irrelevant. Yep. Jesus was irrelevant. So what I need to do now is take Jesus from being the most impactful person in world history to being the most impactful person in my life. The Bible says in John 17, verse 3, and not only the Bible, these are red letters. Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. It is to know God. It is to know Jesus. So for me, eternal life does not begin the moment after I die when I go to the pearly gates and St. Peter gives me a pair of wings. Eternal life began November 11th, 2007, when I entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So in a lot of our evangelism, we want to stress, oh, it's not a religion, man. It's a relationship. And we say that because religions become a bad word. But there is a lot of truth to it. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Christianity is union with Jesus Christ. It's more than right. just right. someone you know. Like, I know Pastor Joe, but am I in Pastor Joe? Is he in me? No, we are two distinct people. But the Bible says that we are in Christ. We are united with him. And let me just read you one little passage here that, that speaks so loudly to me. This is from 2 Timothy and this is written by Paul, one of the most amazing men who walked the earth, the greatest missionary beside Jesus to ever live. And this is toward the end of his life when he says, I've run my race. I fought the good fight. And he says here in, in uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, that is why I am suffering as I am. He was in prison at that moment awaiting execution. So he's suffering. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed That's right. and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day. Come on. So knowing him is, was the difference for Paul. Knowing him right. will be the difference for you. Even Christian friend, you may, you may be born again, but you may get in a rut where Jesus just becomes a good idea to you. Jesus just becomes a principle to you. Right. Jesus becomes a system of ethics to you. But Jesus is to be your best and most personal friend on a daily basis. That's what I believe. 
What do, what do you believe? What do you think I, about I that? I got a couple things to say. Yes. First thing, you got to drop the zeros and get with the hero. Come on. That's the first thing. You got to drop your zeros yes. and get with the hero of Jesus Christ. That's Come the first on. thing. Number one, Jesus is just all right with oh. me. No, 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 no. Jesus just ain't all right. Yes. Jesus is the full package. That's it. Jesus is the full deal. Without Jesus, you ain't got nothing. You ain't got Jesus. You ain't got nothing. So here's the deal. You, as the listener, you got to go out there and preach the word. Yes. You got to get it in people's lives. Jeroboam and I, we're doing our best. We're holding down this show. We're going to have a debate next week. See, people look at me all the time, and they look at Jared, and they say, man, you guys just do a whole lot of talking. But what they don't understand is that we also do a lot of walking. Come on, baby. Man, we're all up in the hood. We're where the, the people are downtown. I preach the gospel everywhere I go, man. I was at Navy Pier the other day, and I was preaching the gospel there at Navy Pier. It doesn't matter, red and yellow, black and white. They're all precious in his sight. As I used to say, from the ghetto to the pento, to yes. the penthouse, everybody in between, come and get you some. Yes. And then now with this false religion, Islam, man, we don't run from them. We run to them. Come on. I beg them to come on, man. It's like, please come on mm. here. Because people a lot of times think what we do is like almost like talking heads. Like we're just sharing our opinion. No, 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 man. Come on. Confront us with whatever you believe. It will only make the truth look better. You can put 2 plus 2 equals 5, 10, 12. But, man, when the truth comes, it just looks so good. You understand it. You're like, that's mm. the truth. So that's what we believe, man. We want to know what you believe in that subject. we got about three minutes left. Bro, do you see any questions? Yeah, let's find questiones because I, I'm not bilingual. Sometimes I like to make up words. Yes. One of the words I like to make up right now is questiones. Yes. It's supposed to be like preguntas, questions. So it's a little bit of Espanol, a little bit of Spanglish, a little bit whatever I'm on right now. Yes. So quest, any questiones? The only one on is Jose Riesco. Bro, if you're listening, man, holler at us. We love you, Jose. Jose's like our number one. I don't even want to say fan because we don't believe in fans. I want to say, like, like Jose is like our favorite disciple. And then number two, right behind him, is Brandon. Number three is uh, Catherine. We got to give you guys some shout-outs. Yes. If you guys, guys. want to bump up to number one, I don't know what you got to do. I'm just kind of, like, teasing right gotta now. share, get the word out. You yeah. know, hey, there he is. He likes our no, video. Brandon's Brandon. there. Yeah, yeah, we got to get you guys get a tattoo. What do you believe tattoo? That's it. You know, I just appreciate you guys. We have a little bit of time left over because we keep making time for questiones. That's it. But they they be shy. So, you know, check out the 201 class on Tuesdays. It's going great. We're about halfway through it right now. God is showing up. Uh, come out to the church if you're in the area. If not, listen to the sermons that we got going on, man. On the app, you can get the sermons, the 301, the podcast. That's all on Metro Praise International iTunes or app. Or check us out at whatdoyoubelievetv.com to get all of our nuggies, some of the articles that we share are just on Facebook. But uh, be in prayer for Sabil Ahmed. Be in prayer for him coming next week from Gain Peace. We're going to believe God that he's going to get the gospel, man. Yes. We're going to praise God. That he, we're going to pray for him to praise God with us and give a real alhamdulillah. Because you can use the word Allah for God. It's not the same God. They worship in their in their religion. But the word Allah just means God. Just like our word God comes through the uh, the English language as it does uh, through what Middle English and the Vikings yeah. uh, Good was God, I think, or something like that. So we can say Allah. There's no problem with saying Allah. We just got to make sure they understand 
we're not praising the same Allah that they are praising. We're praising a whole other Allah. What you got to say, baby? Alhamdulillah. 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 There you go. And hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah. That's in every language now. The Come on. You know, they left that in Hebrew instead of changing it to English, like the whole Bible in Old Testament. You know, it's like it's translated to English. But they left hallelujah for the for the um, the, the specialness of it, the uh, like uh, the appreciation for it. If you ever wondered why in some Bible translation, it doesn't just say praise the Lord, which is the translation of it. They left it in there uh, just to honor honor the lord that's it and no that's it for this week uh we want sabil ahmed to know jesus sabil if you're listening we love you we're praying for you you. and guys tune in next week because that'll be a real treat you get to see your pastor get it all that's it Mm. this is what we believe we want to know what do you believe